Hello, everybody. Welcome to an episode of the TF Labs podcast, where we talk technology and finance, and sometimes that revolves around Bitcoin. I'm really excited for my guest today because we'll be talking quite a bit about Bitcoin, and that's Samson Mao. Samson, could you do me a favor and introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be on your pod. Um, so I'm Samson Mo. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Blockstream. It's a Bitcoin infrastructure company. We work on the Bitcoin protocol. Um, we work on Lightning protocol. And we have a lot of other products like Bitcoin wallets. And we also do Bitcoin mining. And we have a Bitcoin satellite system that orbits around the Earth in uh, geosynchronous orbit. I'm excited to dig into all those things here soon. So, you know, most people know who you are in the, um, you know, the Bitcoin crypto world, but, you know, just for those that don't, and, and perhaps some of my listeners, can you just give me a, a super quick rundown? How did you even get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to begin with? Yeah, so I was the COO at BTC China before. It was one of the largest exchanges and mining pools. Um, so that was back in 2015 um, when I joined up. I first learned about Bitcoin, I think, in 2013, just by reading about it online. But I would say my formal introduction into the Bitcoin world is running the exchange and pool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's super interesting. And then, um, so you're you're a part of two separate companies, right? So you're the CEO of, of your company, and then you're also a part of Blockstream? Yeah, so I have a game company called Pixelmatic. We're working on an MMO game called Infinite Fleet. And we're trying to use a lot of the technology that Blockstream has been developing. So you could say we're commercializing a lot of the tech and we're dogfooding a lot of it too. So there is a security token that Infinite Fleet is offering. Um, so the security token is basically a tokenized security and we're using Blockstream AMP, which is a security token issuance platform that Blockstream put together. And we're issuing a utility token in the game to be the game currency like World of Warcraft Gold. And that's also using the Liquid Network. So it's a token in the Liquid Network, which is a Bitcoin sidechain. Interesting. Now, I love that because you're, it's basically a representation of what already exists in the kind of the economics of gaming, right? You, you get points, there is currency in games, and you're just essentially tokenizing that, right? Yeah, it's kind of an evolution of the existing system, and it's an improvement upon it. So in MMO games like EVE Online or other ones, Typically, like a guild will have its own funds and some people will join a guild, infiltrate it and pretend to be a, a loyal guild member for months and then steal funds from the guild. But by introducing a crypto token, we change a lot of the typical MMO paradigm. So first, the guild can create a multi-sig wallet because liquid assets are basically like Bitcoin. So you can use Bitcoin infrastructure like hardware wallets to secure it. And it's a more open approach. So we accept that players want to trade. We accept that there will be secondary markets. So we just chose to embrace it and let players have this portable game currency that they can move in and out of the game as they like. Super interesting. I love that. And, and you know, Blockstream is definitely, you know, one of the bigger players, um, you know, in the Bitcoin world. Uh, can you give us a quick little rundown on, on where Blockstream plays in the ecosystem? Yeah, so Blockstream is... Uh, Bitcoin infrastructure company. We, we really focus on Bitcoin technology, augmenting Bitcoin. So if you look at a lot of the things that we're building, it's really just to make Bitcoin more robust in every single way. Um, I guess we're most known for the Liquid Network, which is a Bitcoin sidechain. And that was uh, the founding of the company was based on the uh, sidechains white paper back in the day. So originally we're um, founded mostly by Bitcoin core developers. So Adam Back and a lot of other ones. Uh, now we've kind of uh, 
lost a lot of them to other research labs like uh, Chaincode. Um, but we still very much do focus on Bitcoin uh, protocol development. A lot of our guys are working on things like Musig. Um, uh, PSBT came from Andrew Chow. Uh, he's working on PSETs now, which is partially signed elements transactions so that you can use that same technology with uh, the liquid network. Uh, but yeah, we, we still have a lot of uh, heavy involvement in the Bitcoin development community. Yeah, infrastructure being like that key part, part right? You can't you can't do much without the infrastructure. So so you work with Adam Back. Uh, you know he's mentioned in the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, definitely very well respected in the community. Um, I'm curious, how did you two start connecting and working together? Yeah, so I first met Adam kind of through the Bitcoin scaling wars. Um, that was when Mike Hearn and Gavin Andreessen had first started uh, trying to upgrade Bitcoin with their fork, and then it proceeded down the road into uh, Bitcoin Unlimited, Segwit 2x, etc. But Adam was speaking out against it. Uh, I think we first met in person at Scaling Montreal, which was a conference put together to uh, kind of bring the two two factions together to uh, find a scalable solution for Bitcoin. I think back then it was really odd. Like there was a lot of focus on the ability to scale Bitcoin. I think it scared a lot of people into uh, over worrying about it. But actually, the, the Bitcoin fee market works pretty well, and uh, the, the system functions perfectly when the fees are high, right? People just pay more, and you can still get your transaction through. But back then, it was kind of like a doomsday scenario. We have to fix it now. So it, that faction that was prompting for bigger blocks kind of, um, I, I guess, forced people to put these conferences together, like scaling Bitcoin. And I think we also met more at um, the... Bitcoin, what was it again? It was the a meeting in Hong Kong. I forgot the name of it, but it was like a, a meeting to talk about scaling with a lot of the miners also. And I think that was where we started actually communicating a lot more. Gotcha. No, yeah, thanks for thanks for that. Now, um, I do want to get to current events because I'm sure you got a lot of opinions on what's happening in the world today uh, with Bitcoin. But uh, I got to ask about the satellite, you know, where did that come from? And, and, and that seems um, incredibly interesting and just curious, like, you know, how did you even come up with that? And what's what's the reasons behind that? Right. So as I mentioned, we do a lot of work on Bitcoin and we uh, built out the liquid network and that's anchored to the Bitcoin network. So uh, if we don't uh, if we don't keep the Bitcoin network stable, then it'll impact what we're building. And what Bitcoin satellite, uh, blockchain satellite does is it works to prevent network splits. I think that's the, the biggest benefit of that network. So in any country, as long as someone is running a Bitcoin satellite node um, and getting blocks from space, then even if their internet is cut off, that an undersea cable is cut off or something like that, then that country is still in sync with the rest of the Bitcoin network. So if you know, if you assume that Bitcoin is the the future of the next financial system, then you need it to be stable, right? And you're building all this tech on top of that financial system. You need to also contribute to that stability of that system. Got it. So yeah, if, if things basically go the wrong way over here um, or in a, in a particular area, you still have uh, essentially access. Yeah, so it, it just makes sure that there is no network split. And I think we've sold a lot of satellite kits even though you don't need to buy a satellite kit, it's it's DIY compatible. So you can buy parts and assemble your satellite node yourself. 
but I think we have pretty good coverage on every continent now. So uh, I believe that it's highly unlikely that we would see a, a Bitcoin split due to internet outages. That's awesome. I love that. That's, that's, that's super interesting. Well, uh, Bitcoin has been doing some crazy things um, from for those that perhaps are not familiar with Bitcoin. You know, this seems slightly unexpected. Uh, you know, what have you noticed in this most recent um, surge of interest when it comes to Bitcoin? Right. So we're I think right now we're about to hit 40 again. Um, we had a recent dip and, you know, without like going to price speculation, more more around just like overall adoption. What are the things that you're seeing in conversations you're having and uh, you know, whether that be with Blockstream or, uh, you know, conversationally. So the biggest thing is institutional adoption. And in the last half of 2020, we've seen a number of big financial firms and uh, public market companies buy in. And everyone knows, you know, MicroStrategy is buying in. But there are a lot of other funds as well. And they're they're not just buying a little bit. They're buying significant chunks of their um, market caps or assets under management. So hundreds of millions of dollars. I think that's the biggest change. And I think that really hasn't started the next, uh, it, it's kind of kicked off the bull run, but I don't think the bull run has really started yet. I think the bull run is when we run up to hundred K and beyond that. Yeah. And then we might pull back down to hundred K and that's when people will say Bitcoin is dead. Bitcoin dead at hundred K. Um, yeah, it, it has been pretty phenomenal to see just the different institutions starting to think about Bitcoin putting on their books. I remember in May, I think it was Goldman Sachs said that to uh, their user base that they shouldn't be um, you know, investing in Bitcoin. And that was when it was like at 9000. So I think they probably gave some bad advice there. Um, you know, as, as someone that's been in the Bitcoin world for, for quite a bit of time, what do you think the biggest difference is in the uh, institutional adoption? You know, why are they more interested now than they were, say, you know, two years ago or even, you know, a year ago? I think it has a lot to do with uh, having someone like Michael Saylor advocating for it because he is the head of a public market company. And when he shows confidence in that, I think the other the analysts of the big funds are probably looking to him even if they don't admit it, I think they're all drawing inspiration and confidence from his play. Um, the bigger funds typically, they don't really understand the technology. I think they're just looking at the market activities. But for real Bitcoiners that understand the technology, the censorship resistance, um, the immutability, the permissionless access, you kind of know that Bitcoin is going to be you know, the future of finance. It's going to be money for the world or money version two. Uh, and that's inevitable. So the price doesn't really matter. It can go to 100K this year, it could go next year, but ultimately you know where it's going to end up. So you're not, you're not in a rush. But uh, I think those institutions are really just following the leader, but we'll see. Ultimately, it's about conviction. So if it does come back down or it does suddenly become less interesting in the perception of the media, but we'll see if they're still hodling. Yeah, no, it's it's a super great point. And, you know, a lot of times you, you, you know, you see crypto Twitter activity and it's like, get in now or, you know, buy the dip or this or that. And, 
my point of view has just always been is, you know, whenever you buy Bitcoin, whether you bought it early or now, it probably felt expensive. Like it's always going to feel expensive no matter what price you buy. Um, but that's kind of like any investment, right? You're not buying mm -hmm. it for the price today. You're buying it for its future potential or future value. So mm -hmm. if, yeah, if you buy in at 40, it's probably because you're thinking that it's going to go up to a hundred or, or more. Um, I just, yeah, I, I'm not a trader, so I, I can't speak on, you know, specul speculating on the short moves myself. Yeah, but I don't think the real Bitcoiners buy it thinking it's going to go to 100. They buy it thinking it's going to be money. And that's the end. It's that simple. That's it's not about point. cashing out or anything. It's uh, preserving your wealth. And Bitcoin has this benefit of uh, giving you more wealth over time. And if you're in it for the long game, then it doesn't really matter at all if uh, it goes up or if it just holds stable, right? Holding stable sure. would be fun too. Yeah, and then and then going back to that, yeah, it, it, you're using it as that store of value, right? Because if 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 you want to store wealth, um, ideally you're storing your wealth and things that um, you know maintain value the longest. And uh, I mean, it's definitely been interesting, of course, too. We've had a, a, a crazy 2020, 2021s, also a little strange uh, at the onset, and you know, with the printing of money and instability. Um, you know, I've heard people say things and I, I think I agree with it. I haven't done enough, you know, research on it myself, but, you know, it's not so much that Bitcoin's going up in value. It's that the dollar is going, you know, down in value. I think that's kind of an interesting perspective to think about. I don't know if you think of it in that way as well, of, you know, as the instability in the overall markets um, come in. Is it more that, yeah, Bitcoin has proven its value, which of course makes it go up, but it's because the dollar is terrible. Yeah, well, that's a, a dimension of it right there's a lot of money printing a lot of burr and you know ultimately you can't really figure out what's happening with the money supply because there's no simple way to audit it whereas with bitcoin you know uh, a new block is generated there's another oh, 6.25 bitcoins and you can audit the supply on your bitcoin node you can't do that with uh, fiat money you can just approximate and of course they're always printing more and it's outside of your control and I think the governments don't even know what they're spending the money on or what they're inflating the money for. It's just, it, it doesn't really matter to them. It, they just can print it out of thin air and they do that. And there's no impact to them directly. And they're working on very uh, high time preference. So they need to get reelected. So they want to you know, show some progress or uh, show that they care about the people so that they get reelected. So it's a, it's a very bad system with a lot of uh, negative reinforcement. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So we've talked a little bit about like this, you know, in institutional investors holding Bitcoin. Uh, what do you think it takes for that to continue to go downstream? So, you know, MicroStrategy being a corporation holding Bitcoin uh, on their balance sheet and Square, I guess, is a financial institution also, but they're holding it on their balance sheet. How do you see that trickling down? Um, you know, does uh, the grocery store um, start holding Bitcoin on its balance sheets. Do does the coffee shop as well? Um, I kind of see a world where that does happen, right? Where uh, people start demanding payment uh, in Bitcoin, or at the very least, like accounts receivables. You know, if I buy large sums of um, a product or or whatever that be, you know, I prefer to be paid in Bitcoin than the U.S. dollar. Curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, if Bitcoin is money, then eventually everyone will hold it, right? Just like they hold dollars in their bank account. It's just going to take some time for it to be accepted as a payment mechanism, I think. Yeah. Um, but that is changing over time. 
with technologies like Lightning making it cheaper and faster to transact in Bitcoin. But I, I think for the next couple of years, if you're a company or a business, it's more likely you're just going to you know, allocate cash to put into Bitcoin rather than taking it as a payment mechanism. That will take a bit more time to catch on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, and, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, Bitcoin versus blockchain, there's a, there's some, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, people that are on one side or the other. Um, you know, I know you're doing things on the blockchain side of things. I'd love if you could kind of break that down for us, because, yes, of course, there are, you know, some folks working in blockchain or cryptocurrency more on like this, the scammy side of things and they, they ruin it. But, you know, what's your hypothesis or thought on the Bitcoin versus blockchain or blockchain versus Bitcoin type of conversation? Well, Bitcoin is really the most important thing. The blockchain is a byproduct. It's what you you need to have what Bitcoin is, right? You need to have that decentralized uh, ledger uh, that anybody can run and sync up and audit. But, you know, if you could have Bitcoin without that, that'd be great too. But you unfortunately can't based on uh, our current level of technological development. Yeah. So I would say the bulk of uh, blockchain use cases are just uh, ridiculous. There's a lot of things like supply chain or um, I don't know, putting data on the blockchain. It's really just uh, is like that, a camera looking for nails, basically. Yeah, basically. But I believe financial use cases are valid. So the ability to improve liquidity, uh, improve transaction efficiency, improve uh, privacy. And these are things that you can accomplish with the liquid network. So in the liquid network, all the transactions are confidential. But if I transact with you, I can uh, share the blinding key. And we recently released a feature on Blockstream Green that would let you uh, get your blinding keys for your transactions. So uh, what that lets you do is you can have this uh, decentralized exchange on like HODL HODL. And if they, they need to mediate a dispute, they can reveal the blinding key. So the mediator can verify that you know, that transaction happened as it should have happened. But I, I think in general, um, financial use cases are pretty good for blockchain tech. So issuing stable coins is great. It increases uh, liquidity and fluidity of movement of assets through the network. Um, you can have peer-to-peer -peer trade, atomic swaps, and yeah, it, it's it, it, that that's the only use case I could see for blockchain. Yeah, I agree with you. I think stable coins become super interesting. Um, and going back to what we were saying at the beginning of our conversation, for example, with uh, the gaming tokens you were talking about is uh, you know, I very much see stable coins even being representations of loyalty and, you know, in these point structures that, you know, e-commerce or retail might use. Um, so I, I think there's definitely lots of potential from that side of it as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, the biggest thing is unlocking liquidity. So if you have the game currency as a crypto token, then it, the players can take it out of the game, right? You're not bound to it. But the incentive for a game publisher is to lock you up. So you you buy the Fortnite V-Bucks and then, you know, if you don't spend it all, sorry, it's gone, right? <laughs> you can't take it out. But anything that benefits the player um, is probably not something that the, the, the big players or the people in power want. And it's the same for things like um, airline points or reward points like you touched on, right? The incentive is that you can't uh, easily change it for something else. 
you're locked into their ecosystem. But that's not necessarily the best thing for an end user. Uh, the best thing is if you could convert your airline points to, I don't know, Starbucks points or some other points. But having that uh, freedom of uh, movement and liquidity is beneficial for the people. So I think as um, as the big players change or new incumbents come up and uh, introduce better platforms or uh, in the case of games, better games that have this uh, more liquid currency, then they will start to attract more users because I think the freest money will win and the freest crypto assets will win too. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So we talked a little bit about this on the fin FinTech side of things. What are your thoughts on just DeFi in general? Um, and there's kind of essentially two sides, or I don't, I don't wanna say two sides, but two points of view when it comes to DeFi or focuses, I should say. So one is obviously, um, you know, uh, lending out of, of crypto and that sort of thing. But then two is like these DeFi coins. Curious what your thoughts are on those DeFi coins. I don't know. The DeFi coins are mostly governance tokens, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't really quite get the value. Still, I've had people explain it to me over and over again, and I still don't understand the value. Yeah, like the Ethereum DeFi stuff is really just a new ICO. It's just a new way to get people to part with their cash and enrich insiders. So they're not secure. They're not meant to last for a very long time. Uh, I think they're just quick get-rich-quick schemes for whoever's building them. The only real DeFi is anything built on top of Bitcoin. So the only decentralized exchange is uh, like BISC and uh, services like HODL HODL are also pretty good too. But you know, all the Ethereum stuff, I wouldn't call it DeFi. It's just a marketing ploy, just like Ethereum's marketing itself as the world computer. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, as, yeah, Samson. So I, I'm super enjoying this conversation. You know, what I'm curious is like, what, what type of things get you interested outside of the crypto space? Or are you just so, so locked in on Bitcoin overall? Well, I, I like game development. Um, you know, if I wasn't, if I didn't get into the, the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency industry, I would have just been doing games still. Um, because that's a passion of mine, like creating, uh, something, um, writing stories, artwork. I think that's all very interesting. Yeah, because and you you and, and some other guys do, uh, what's the, the cartoons you do, the crypto? Um... Oh, Magical Crypto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. how'd that come up? Um, that was just us deciding to do a podcast. So I think we started in 2017, but uh, the idea was just to create something informative and educational and fun. And I picked this... Uh, a uh, cute cartoon motif because I didn't see anyone else doing that in uh, this industry. So I wanted to set us apart from the rest. Yeah, that's awesome. So with, with you know, I guess going back to games, because I'm not a game developer or never been on that side, but I do like games and I find it super interesting. Um, what are some ways that people can interact with your product on the gaming side and, and what do they need to do to, I guess, create an account or get started? How does that work? Yeah, so Infinite Fleet is uh, coming out in alpha pretty soon, I think in the next couple of weeks. So before the end of this month, uh, before the end of January, and we're raising another round of financing on Stalker. So that's stokr.io. And you can invest in the security token on Stalker. Um, I think the public round is capped at $1 million. And the bulk, the rest of that will be through uh, private funding. But if you just want to invest a little bit, let's say $100, you could invest on Stalker currently, 
So I think this is the first time that there is a game where you can, you know, invest your time in playing the game, but also invest in the game project. Um, I don't know if you heard of Star Citizen, but they've raised like $300 million, but that's all those that's all donations to uh, the game developer to Chris Roberts. You don't get any um, share in the company or profits, whereas with the Infinite Fleet, you can actually own a little piece of the company that's building it. Yeah. And so is that, how's that? So I'm not familiar with Stalker. Is that done in a crowdfunding format, like a crowd, like an equity crowdfunding type? Yeah. So there's a portion of it that's kind of like a uh, Kickstarter, like uh, public funding. So that's the 1 million mark. We're raising a total of eight uh, potentially. So you could, if you're a private investor, you can do larger amounts. But if you just want to invest $100, there is that uh, $1 million allocation for the public markets. Super interesting. Awesome. Uh, well, Samson, I've super enjoyed this conversation. You know, I'd love to, you know, give you the opportunity to either ask me a question or ask a question kind of to the audience that they can think about as they go about what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, do you feel you have enough Bitcoin? No, uh, <laughs> I don't. I've never felt like I've had enough Bitcoin. Um, and it's funny because every time... Um, you know, I've seen it, I see it go up. I'm like, oh, I need to put a little bit more. And then I wait for whatever reason. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I, you know, get in at this point? But I definitely have had that philosophy uh, since I got into the space about, you know, no matter what price I pay, it will always feel expensive. So don't try, like, I'm never trying to buy the dip or whatever. I'm just trying to get in when I have the cash flow, you know, to put it in. When, whenever I can put a little bit extra in, that's, that's kind of my philosophy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to time the market personally. <laughs> so if you had to choose between two feelings, not having enough or uh, buying at the top, let's say you bought it uh, 17K back uh, in 2017, then you had to like, endure a bear market. Which feeling would you rather have? Oh, that's a good, that's a really, really good question. Um... I think I'd probably want the feeling, well, I guess it's easier to say now, but I think I probably would want the feeling of 17K um, at that point, because, you know, the only time I've ever sold Bitcoin was when I've absolutely had to. So I'm a startup founder and, you know, I, I um, you know, I'm, I'm fundraising for my startup right now, for example. And the only time I've ever sold is because I've had to, because I'm like, I need to pay my bill today or something like that but I, I've never sold any other reason because of that. So, so, so it, because of that, actually the 17 K might be hard because it would, if I would have had to sell like at three because I needed to fund something. So mm -hmm. I guess, you know, to revert on the question, maybe not enough, probably would be a better feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question though. I'm going to use that one. Use that one. Nice. And, and for anybody listening, definitely, definitely think, ask yourself that question. I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear what people have to say on that one. Well, Samson, what are some good ways that people can get in touch with you or follow you or just pay attention to what you uh, are doing with your, your ventures? Yeah. So I'm on all the social media platforms uh, on Twitter. My handle is Excellion, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn too, um, Samson Mo, And I'm on all the Chinese social media platforms too, if you want to find me, uh, same handle, Excellion. And yeah, and I recently started using my Mastodon account. I, again, it's at, it's Excellion at bitcoinhackers.org. So that's a Mastodon instance run by NVK. 
Cool. And then uh, soon to be on Clubhouse, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to spend some time and figure that out. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to start a room, I, I've, I've actually pretty, I've enjoyed it. Uh, great. Let's Samson, do it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Great chat. Yeah, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Labs podcast. Please do me a favor and make sure that you are liked and subscribed so you can listen to more uh, episodes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at JG Product as well as at TF Labs underscore. And you can learn more about what we're doing at tflabs.io. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all soon.